Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. Hey, Michael Rodnan, you're here after all. Great to see you here. Melanie Keelan is here from Barcelona, Spain. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And she says, greetings from rainy Spain, as well as... Lee Grant, who says, y'all, from rainy southeast Texas. I think he's in Montgomery County. We have Paul Fleming in the house. We also have Yvette Avery-Herod, who says, good afternoon, Peter Passi, as well as the one and only Alistair Waters. Alistair Waters is in the house. And we also have Michael Rotnin. He says, after all, I was planning to be out today. Can't go because kid is having a bad day. So he's taking care of the kiddies. He's taking care of the kitties. Hey, I, I love somebody who loves their kitties, right? Anyhow, folks, how are my peeps doing this afternoon? I trust that everybody's doing fine. E2247 is here well with a language that says today's visit will be the greatest ever as usual. And of course, Eric Hayes, the one and only Eric Hayes says, whoa, so this was true. Hmm, things come light, but will be. Or should there be accountability? Not guilty. Jury exonerates men accused in Michigan governor kidnapping. They weren't the major protagonists of the plot. So they got let off because, again, they, they probably were just some folks that weren't all that smart, which in general, that crew tends to have some issues, some issues, some issues. Bridge MCP just joined us. Welcome aboard, Bridge. Lee Grant says, Vivek offer. Don't fall for it, Rasmani said. This is a fig leaf designed to reflect attention away from the real problem. The Biden family is selling out U.S. foreign policy for their own family's private financial gain. That's really what's wrong. And we must hold politicians in both major political parties when they use our foreign policy to enrich their family members. And that's why Ramaswani is also eventually going to talk about the $2 billion that, wait a minute, $2 billion? The $2 billion that Donald Trump's kid, Donald Trump's kid, who worked for him, got from the Saudis. Not even comparatively close, but I'm not going to waste my time and discuss Vivek because Vivek was made a, uh, I mean, uh, was made an utter fool of, you know, who made another fool of Vivek. Actually, what I should do is I should kind of bring that up. I think I should have that in here somewhere. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. Did I have Vivek in here? I thought I did. Mehdi has explained. Uh, okay, I, let, me, let, let me show you who Vivek Ramaswamy is. Thank you for bringing that up. Welcome aboard, Tom C. Taking a break from yard work to join the PDR Posse room. Love you for that, brother. Let's talk about Vivek. You know, uh, Lee Grant seemed to, to put some credence into Vivek. So even though I didn't have this planned, 
I'm going to show you a little bit of Vivek. Vivek Ramaswamy is your standard charlatan. He speaks with a certain tonality, with the expectation that he's going to overwhelm you with his wordiology, right? He's going to overwhelm you by having answers and just one after the other continuing to fight. Well, what he forgot is that there are, in fact, a guy who wrote a book on doing these kinds of interviews for people like Vivek. And his name is Media Hassan. Media Hassan, uh, uh, somehow Vivek believed he was going to go on to Media Hassan's show and, and make mince meat out of him. Instead, the converse occurred. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. But this is important. Okay, okay. So there's an echo chamber in there. Let me go ahead. And I thought I had that ready for you, but I think I am having some echo issues that uh, maybe I can fix in the online mixer that I'm going to have here. Go to track two. Let's see why are we having echo issues there. I don't know. So, oh, that's interesting. I don't think I should have had an echo there. So let me go ahead and look one of the places to make sure that I don't have an issue because if that has an echo, the others are likely to have echoes as well. So what I want to do is to make sure that we don't do that with the echo. Anyway, uh, I, I tell you what, folks, um, I am not sure what what transpired there, but I'm going to try. I, I need your help to fix this one. So what I'm going to ask you is uh, to hold one second as I look at my asset manager here and take a look also at uh our mapping and make see why is it that that came out with our echo and you know what the truth of the matter is i am not sure but i'm going to try to take this out and see if that makes a difference if that makes a difference if that makes a difference all right i'm going to try it again and you guys tell me if you hear an echo because I am not sure where the echo is coming from, but I we need for we have a whole lot of video to show you, and if we don't get this settled, we are going to have an issue if we can't settle that promptly. And what I want to do is to settle it promptly if we can. All right, let me know if if it if the echo is still there. Let let's try it one more time. And then you guys tell me if we have an echo again. Let's try that one more time. I'll do that. I'll do that. And I'll do that. Vivek Ramaswamy is your standard charlatan. He speaks with a certain tonality, with the expectation that he's going to overwhelm you with his wordiology, right? He's going to overwhelm you by having answers and just uh, one after the other continuing to fight. Well, what he forgot is that there are, in fact, uh, a, a guy who wrote a book on doing these kinds of interviews for people like Vivek. And his name is Media Hassan. And Media Hassan, uh, somehow Vivek believed he was going to go on to Media Hassan's show and make mincemeat out of him. Instead, the converse occurred. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. But this is important. The fast talking Ramaswamy, who Chris Christie famously said, sounds like chat GPT, always appears unbothered by his stream of contradictions and falsehoods, never really gets nailed down long enough to be caught in that. But until today, Ramaswamy had not gone up against one interviewer in particular, one who is built for just this sort of situation. 
MSNBC's own Mehdi Hassan. In retrospect, probably should have kept it that way. So, Mehdi, I've made this really easy for everybody. And I did this yeah. in the early weeks of the campaign. Yeah. I released 20 years of tax returns. Yes, you Something did. that no presidential candidate, let alone somebody who's successful in business, has done. I challenge yes, Democrats and Republicans alike, and, including and the Biden them. family, to do it. Exactly. We have 2009 but the fact and of the matter is, You know what I would advise every 24-year-old to take $2,000. And 2010, you made $750,000. You had the money to pay for law school. You didn't need a Soros affirmative action scholarship that you now yeah, criticize. I mean, if, None of this is worthy, but if you think it is, let's get to the detail. That was well, actually I, the I, first big piece you say you're anti-affirmative action. Was, well, you took a scholarship for immigrants. I'm anti-affirmative action. So why did you take a scholarship so which, for the children which of immigrants? Which falsehood would you like me to address? The financial one or the or the one about my views on affirmative did, action? Because I can go in whichever order you'd like. On the financial piece of it. Not at, not at the time that I had applied for the scholarship yes, you did. that fall. Yes, you did. That December. Yes, you did. On December, this Mehdi, is, this I, is awkward for you because believe you, me, did. I just, <laughs> you you're You're, I think, the best interviewer in American media oh, you're too kind, Chris. At, at that, at that kind of thing. You really are. You're, you're phenomenal at it. Um, the, what is the Vivek Ramaswamy method? What, what's been sort of amazing to me is like, I feel like he's set some sort of Olympian record of glibness. Just like everything is just like, well, I would simply do this. This is so easy. It's like, everything yeah. is easy. Everything's obvious. Like, it's like, well, no, not everything's that obvious. What, what was your takeaway from, from, from going toe to toe with him? Uh, the takeaway I had is that there are two big issues with Ramaswamy. One is, what is his qualification to be president of the United States? Fair and the other question. is, can we, trust, can we trust anything he says? And those were the two themes I stuck to. He was a little irked by that. He did the kind of, oh, these are gotchas. Why can't we talk about substance? But my point is, why, why would I want to discuss the details of your peace plan for Ukraine <laughs> before we first establish whether you should be president, right? Like anyone can say, I've got a plan for Ukraine. You go on the internet right now, 100 people have opinions on Ukraine. The issue is why this guy? What's he going to do about it? How can we trust him? And I think, you know, what I tried to do, I asked him about, you know, he used to criticize Trump and now he doesn't because he probably wants to be Trump's vice president. So I put that to him. And, you know, the Soros stuff you just played. This is a man who attacks George Soros. He took a scholarship from the Soros family, from Soros's brother, an affirmative action scholarship, which he claims to hate. And then he said, I didn't have the money for it. And I challenged him. He said, I never said that. It's another thing he does, Chris. He just denies things that are on tape. I want to play that that exchange about the because he had tweeted after January 6th. Again, I don't know if the, the, the tweet itself was pandering at the time or what he really thought. I mean, who knows where the line is, right? I, my suspicion is that he tweeted it because he thought it. But we'll see uh, about what what Trump did be, was was abhorrent. And you had an exchange over that. Take, take a listen. Yes, I want you to answer my question, Vivek. Three Mehdi, times I've asked it. That what is did Trump do and, that was and, downright abhorrent? It's a yes. simple question. It's your words. It's on screen. I think what did he fact, do that was downright I abhorrent? I believe that failing to unite this country falls short of what a true leader ought to do. That is why I'm in this race, is to do things differently than any prior president has done them. That's the hard truth, okay? And that's what now made the him reality a is loser and abhorrent. The media yes, and the... Mehdi Hassan did exactly right. He did. He, he kept him off balance because when you're lying, it is dependent for you to keep the equivalencies and the balances in check. And when somebody continuously to ch continues to chip away at your fallacies, it takes the soil from underneath you. Watch how Hassan did that. And listen to the commentary that went along with it, because I tell you, that is what it's going to take for certain folks to understand 
the dangers of guys like uh, like Ramaswamy. Absolutely. So Ramaswamy is a charlatan. And no, Eric, uh, we are not jealous of a a smart, rich guy because he is rich, but he's not smart. Otherwise, he wouldn't get caught by the simp. By again, there there are videos to show what he does. I mean, he should have had another. He should have had a, a, an answer like, "Well, I had a change of opinion" or something like that. Not a silly answer like it doesn't happen. He, he he's so he's not very smart. So he think other people's are just not very smart like he is. All right, uh, Michael Rony says leftists go after Democrats way harder than Republicans for corruption. We on the left expect Republicans to be corrupt, but when Democrats do that too. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Primaries are coming. Anyway, folks, I have a, an interview that I did this morning with uh, um, uh, Casada. It's about, and this one is uh, covers our local school district that got taken over. But given that Harris County is also what we call a bellwether district for the entire country, uh, this actually makes uh this this is something that i think everybody should listen to what happened to our school district so let me go ahead and play this and then we'll take it on the other side and i'll try to do the same thing that i did to eliminate that echo until i understand exactly what had occurred so here is that uh here is that interview right this minute Welcome, Welcome to another, to another edition, edition of Politics and Writing. I'm Beto Willis, your host. host. Everyone, Everyone in the, the Harris, Harris County, County area, area Bellwether County, County, in the entire country, country, is now witnessing what happens when there is a government takeover of an independent school district. Recently, the Houston School District was taken over by the state of Texas. And in, in the process, uh, their attempt to what many believe is uh, turning the district into one controlled by the private enterprise, private systems. But anyhow, above and beyond, today we're we're having uh, Karina Quesada, who is a mother of three kids. She's a former elementary school teacher, and she helps parents navigate throughout the school system where needs arise. She is also, more importantly, a community activist and advocate that many of us depend on. Karina Quesada, welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, look, one of the reasons that got me into uh, calling you up is I, I saw a snippet of, of you, and I think it was ABC, and realized, and we're going to start sort of in the middle, realized that after this takeover of the Houston Independent School District began, that you as a, I think you're on one of the boards that direct the, that advisory boards for the school, you were summarily dismissed by this new administration. So I want to start there because that, that contention is something that I think is something that it's blown over from Dallas where he started and it's kind of showing up here. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? So real quick summary on that. So the district advisory committee 
Um, that is, uh, the, the, the way you get on that or people are the, you have staff members, you have teachers and they have, uh, they are elected into these positions. Okay. So they, there's, uh, it's comprised of that. Then for the parent community and business, um, representatives, right. Those were always appointed by the elected trustees. Now, um, you know, the trustee was elected, right? People vote on who they want to represent them. Someone you agree with, maybe their values um, and their views and their vision uh, for the district. And so then that person would appoint two people to represent that district so that the community was involved in the district uh, advisory committee. Now, the advisory committee does not have a uh, there's no power to it. Right. It's just an advisory committee. But when HB 1842, the takeover law passed, um, that comes the takeover law. HB 1842 also has districts of innovation. OK, so it came together. Districts of innovation is part of the takeover law. Um, and so they. um that in the statute for that, it says that in order for a school district to become a district of innovation, the district of innovation plan has to be approved, has to be voted on by the DAC, the district advisory committee, before it can move on to the board, the trustees, the board of managers now, and then they can vote to approve it. And then you can become a district of innovation. Okay. So the way the the reason it was put in that way is because if you a district of innovation allows you to exempt yourself from from up to sixty seven uh, education Texas education code right stat uh, law basically like things like having certified teachers having a uh, smaller uh, a limit on class sizes uh, having it required to notify parents if they're being taught their child is being taught by an uncertified teacher duty in other words. It is, seek, it is seeking the consent of the peoples who are whose kids are attending the district to say it is OK for us to dispense of some of these regulations. Absolutely. So it's it's wanting the approval of the parents, community members and the teachers that are all going to be working under this type of plan. Um, and so, again, in order to get it to even be voted on, to even get to the place where you have it established, it has to make it past the deck. I was on the DAC when we voted to uh, voted on district of innovation, uh, district of innovation plan back in 2021. I voted no. We it was it never made it out of the DAC. Right. That's why we are still not a district of innovation. So Miles is going around the clear intention of the law of this statute by removing um. Dis, uh, district advisory committee members who weren't on board with this plan, who weren't on board with the um, with the takeover. And so I got dismissed. 18 of the members now of the members that are there, 18 of them have applied, had applied to be on the board of managers. OK, uh, a lot of these people have been very public about their support of their takeover and support of um, of a district of innovation. Right. And then now last night they put on their um, they voted on who's going to be the board decided who's going to be on this committee, the district of innovation committee that's going to make the plan. 
And out of those people, I believe it was just two or three that had not applied to be on the board of managers. Like they're like, it's all just the same. In other words, they're putting a whole lot of yes people on there that, that are not necessarily reflective of the community. It's not reflective at all. It's, it's going, uh, the clear, it's going around the clear intention of the law, right. Of why you would need to get a district advisory committee approval, right? Because before you decide to dismiss all these laws, you know, you can't give that much power to a school board and a, a superintendent. That's why this clause was put in here to provide some guardrails, some checks and balances before you go and do this. And so he's gone around that. He's manipulated it. He changed the district policy so he can decide who is going to be on this deck. Okay, let's talk about the district proper. Uh, the Houston School District got taken over. Uh, by mm -hmm. the state, supposedly for performance reasons. It turns out, as I recall, it's only Wheatley High School that fell in the performance, that that had a performance issue now and that the school was actually on the ascent. Moreover, I understand that there are many other school districts within the Texas, in the entire Texas, that are doing much worse than uh, Houston has ever done, and they were not uh, taken over at all. So uh, do I have that correct thus far? Yes. And so in 2019, they tried to take us, they, they tried to take us over. Um, and then there was an injunction, right? And so they couldn't take us over. So then they filed, I believe it was Benincourt filed SB 1365. Right. Um, and so that allowed and brought in the mechanism so they can continue moving forward with their takeover. So so that's why we're here. It's because of what happened in the past, not what is happening presently. So it's retroactive is what's, is what's going Okay. On. So they didn't care that, that improvements were made. In oh, it the doesn't district. matter. It's not about that. It's, it, it's, it's about taking over a school district. It's about taking over a school district that didn't do what they wanted them to do. Um, in 2018, we were supposed to charter off 10 schools, 10 of our schools. We didn't do it. We are one of the only school districts that had schools that could have triggered this uh, takeover and all the other schools went ahead and chartered off their school, the school that might trigger a takeover so that they they wouldn't get taken over. So let me we see if I understand that. you're right. You said, in effect, this was a state bribe. In other words, in order to have a, a, a private corporation uh, get into the school district. Uh, you you had you go ahead and you privatize some of your schools and you avoid the state takeover. You decide that you don't want to privatize any of your schools and the state comes and takes it over. And now we have in Congress that will be, I think, in the October session, they're going to try to voucherize the uh, apply, uh, put voucherization that would be applicable throughout the entire state. Correct. Correct. In the special session. Yes. Wow. So um, what? Uh, and so so what? We didn't do the chartering and then we didn't do the district of innovation. So we were just being bad boys and girls down here in uh, Houston, deciding for ourselves what we want for our kids, for our children, for our teachers, for our schools. And um, they were like, no, that's not what we want you to do. So they came and take us, took us over. This is all very this is all political. Now, it's interesting because it's not like uh, uh, Miles, uh, Mike Miles had a success story at, at Dallas, the place that he came from. In fact, as I recall, he left a whole lot of scandals back there. And now he now he's here uh, 
turning certain some of our libraries into prisons. Tell us uh, what what is the recourse that parents have now that this takeover has occurred. I think what we need we need to come together and try to. I think the best recourse we have is trying to come together and find ways um, that we can uh, like dr- some type of direct action. Right. Uh, we I continue to go to the board meetings now, not because I, I think that they're going to anything I say is going to move them in any way. They're just there to rubber stamp. I know that um, it is there. I, I go there. So to 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 unite my voice with other people that are going, that are also in the same predicament, right? It's so that the media pays attention so that the media covers it so that there's press, which then gets out to more people so that we're all understanding that you're not isolated over there an Island onto yourself or, or maybe you decide, Oh, I'm going to ask my kid. I wonder if that's going on in their school. And lo and behold, you find out that it's actually happening in your school too. And um, it was just appalling yesterday to, to uh, Mike Miles's response after seeing parents crying at this meeting, talking about what their kids are going through kids themselves coming and speaking and crying about what they're going to teachers also uh, coming and speaking or having others people speak for teachers that didn't that wanted to do it uh, anonymous anonymously then also they were cutting the mics on the little kids you know they get nervous and they start stuttering or you know they lose their spot in what they were trying to say and historically the elected board never cut the mic off kids never I mean it just it's bad optics, right? Like that just doesn't like you're, you're a board over a school district that serves children. Like, why would you cut the mics on them? And yet they were doing that. And at the end of this meeting, Mike Miles basically calls us all liars that he had gone and toured the school with the board of managers and they know what's actually going on in the schools, not what these people here are saying. So called the, the parents, the teachers and the children all liars. We're just all making this up. It's not happening. Well, it's good that we have people that are bringing bringing the story about what's going on at the Houston Independent School District, uh, a a district that has been taken over by the state with the sole intent of finding a way to privatize it, trying a way to turn it in, uh, turn it into, uh, uh, I I guess what they're they're hoping to do is turn much of it into a charter school system. Uh, Mm -hmm. Karina? Yes. Yeah, they're trying to what's going to happen also is they're going to be closing schools. Mm-hmm. OK, that's going to that's already that those that's already in place. The wheels are moving towards that. Uh, what's interesting to see is that we have on the board of managers uh, a man that has made over twenty eight million dollars off real estate. The CEO of Camden Properties um, that. That's not a conflict of interest, right? Mm-hmm. We have someone that works for the college board, right? That's uh, the AP and the testing. Someone that profits off testing our kids to death. That's not a conflict of interest, I'm sure, right? Like you know, it's just it's really concerning. And yes, the, this is moving towards either closing the schools 
or chartering off the schools. And if they close the school, then the building itself will probably be sold to a charter and then a charter will will pop up there. So, so it, then the real estate person makes money off of the sale of the school and the charter school system or the privatized charter school systems makes a profit by turning each one of the children into a money making widget. And yeah. at the same time, there are no more restrictions because uh, you have voted you have voted to make it an innovation district and in making it an innovation district, you've foregone six to seven different regulations that govern how these schools should operate, including having certified teachers. So whereas they claim they're coming in here to make a school district safer, to make a school district more functional and and bring students out uh, correctly, what you're getting is a school, a privatized school district with no regulation, with little regulations, with teachers that are not certified. And as we all know, if you take a look at the statistics based on charter schools versus public schools, public schools in general do better. So that's where we are at, at uh, university, or rather at the Houston Independent School District, unless Texas elects a new governor and legislator that cares about the kids. Is that about right? That's about right. The only thing is the they the school district doesn't need the district of innovation to charter off the schools. They can do that through SB 1882. Okay. But, but the but the district of innovation allows for all these freedoms that are guaranteed to the charter schools for the school district to to do. Got yeah. it. Well, uh, Karina Quesada Leon, give me a little closer how you'd like to close this session. Um, I think I would just like people to know that um, to really pay attention to what's going on in um, in the school, in your school district, show up. Even if you're scared to speak, don't speak. You don't have to speak right away. But I'm sure that once you do, you, you go to one of these meetings, you'll want to you'll want to voice your opinion. But be involved. Uh, don't be afraid to speak up. Um, join up with Community Voices for Public Education if you want to know more information and more ways to to continue to fight to fight back, file grievances, file complaints. Um, get with us. We'll help you. We will help you file those complaints. And how can they get involved with you? Uh, it's uh, it's on the website. It's Community Voices for Public Education. I don't remember it off the top of my head. I'll put I, it in the blog. I know what the Twitter hang, handle is at Houston CVPE is the handle. Thank you so kind. Karina Quesada, modeler of three, former elementary school school teacher and a community advocate and activist. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics yeah. and Right. Bye-bye. Absolutely so, absolutely so, absolutely so. Anyway, uh, Paul Fleming says today is the start of Hispanic Heritage Month, and we will feature some fantastic makers, women who are part of the Latin American community. Have you heard of Diana Trujillo? Hadn't until I read your piece. She's a Colombian aerospace engineer leading NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory engineering team. Her team is responsible for the robotic arm of the Perseverance rover. On February 18, 2021, Trujillo made history uh, by hosting the first ever Spanish language NASA transmission from the Perseverance rover's landing on Mars. I didn't know that. Uh, well, let's see what a uh, Carl Cox, welcome to Politics and Right. And yes, Mike Cisak, 
uh, is usually not correct when it talks about economy, but we can use all the fallacies that he puts out to further educate people on the real economy. He actually believes that we live in a free market system. And he also believes that somehow the magic, the, the mythical market, uh, on the unregulated mythical market is hum, hum, somehow benevolent. Again, indoctrination is an interesting thing. It doesn't work. You have the examples of it not working, but you're indoctrinated. So you keep thinking the same way. Oh, I wish I could indoctrinate me on certain things because I would live a, a, a better life. I would actually be able to fool myself. And if I live in a bubble of fallacy, if I live in a bubble, in, in an imaginary bubble, even as bad things continue to happen around me, I could actually survive. Hey, you're also here, my dear brother Bruce. Welcome aboard. Uh, Paul also said black youth are held in juvenile detention centers for far less than attempted murder. White privilege is being released into the custody of daddy after trying to drown a black teenager. John Sheeran, a white 14-year-old, was indicted on an attempted murder charge for trying to drown a black youth in a racist attack in a pond on Cape Cod. A second white youth laughed during the incident, calling for the black teen, George Floyd. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. But doesn't surprise me. Members of the Wagner Group, this is from Paul Fleming as well, a private military company with ties to Russian government, are now subject to prosecution by British authorities after the UK declared the group a terrorist organization. All right. JRay713. Ray checking in from YouTube. How you doing, brother Ray? Great to see you here. Uh, Carl Cox is also in the house. You know. Hey, we're getting thunder. We may get rain again, folks. We may get rain again. Anyway, I got quite a few more videos that we got to put out here. Here's the deal. You know, this is the year of the union. And you know what? It's a good thing. I want to uh, give a little bit of this piece from, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Katie. It's important just for you to see what is happening with regards to unions and why. Check this out. Then we'll take it on the other side. This feels like a real moment for organized labor. You have the WGA and SAG-AFTRA who are currently on strike. Port workers were on strike for a time. UPS came close to a strike. So did rail workers and air traffic controllers. Starbucks shops are unionizing. Amazon warehouses are union unionizing. What is happening and why right now? Sure. There's a lot of factors in play, Katie. And, and I think you begin with the reality of the pandemic. The pandemic was uh, a shockwave through our society. And one of the things it did was to uh, show workers that they make a lot of sacrifices, but they don't necessarily get benefits from that. And so I think the pandemic has unleashed a lot of labor activity in this country. But with the UAW, I think it's important to understand that this goes back much further. This is a union uh, and the members of this union that really sacrificed in order to save the industry back in 2008, 2009. And there's been a lot of internal education. These people know what they gave up. And, and so as the worker that was interviewed there said, they're not just talking about wages. They're talking about a lot of other issues, including issues related to the, the long-term future of their industry. There are real concerns about how the industry is changing with not just trade policy, but the introduction of electric vehicles and things of that nature. And so basically what they're demanding is a place at the table that a 
allows them to have a real role in defining the future of an industry where they work and it has a huge impact on their communities. Well, I think what you're really hitting the head on the nail or the nail on the head there um, when it comes to what happened 15 years ago, that the big three automakers uh, were in dire straits. They were on the verge of bankruptcy. They opened their books to the uh, union leaders and they said, see, look, it's bad. Help us. And they yeah. and the union leaders said, OK, we will. And they made huge concessions. They gave back a lot of their benefit pack package. So you got get back pensions uh, for a lot of workers. They did a two-tier system. It was not great for them, but they did it on behalf of the company. There have been record profits since then. And now they're saying, hey, we want a piece of that. Um, but what they're asking for, the auto companies say is, is too much that it, Ford says it'll put them into bankruptcy, number one. And number two, and, and part of the reason they say it's too much is because when they pay that much for labor, they are less competitive with companies that don't have those sorts of labor demands. They're less competitive with foreign companies, even some domestic companies who don't have unionized workers, especially those on the EV front like Tesla. Yeah, look, all of these things come into play, but here's the bottom line. These corporations have reported tens of billions of dollars in profits. They are making immense amounts of money for their CEOs and for their stockholders. That's a part of being a business. You understand that in the in the American dynamic. But what the workers are saying is they keep being told that there's never enough money for them. So when they were asked to sacrifice, of course, they sacrificed. Um, you know, as we've gone through all these years, when you went through COVID and all the challenges related to that, they sacrificed. Now you're at a point record profits this year for these three companies. And they're still being told, well, we just don't have the money for you. At a How certain long are those point, record profits going to last? I, I mean, I guess they have had a lot yeah. of record profits. Uh, their argument and, and not taking anyone's side here, but their argument is, hey, listen, we're not entirely sure that it's going to continue to be this rich for an extended future. Look, I mean, this is this is always the challenge in any labor negotiation. I've covered labor negotiations uh, for a very, very long time. The company always cries poverty and says, if you push too hard, we're going to go out of business or something like that. The workers push for for what they see as a fair uh, settlement. Yeah. In this case, I, I think the bottom line is that these workers are very conscious of their situation. They haven't been you know, let out by their union leadership without a lot of information. Sean Fain was elected to do this strike. He was elected to, you know, not necessarily to strike, but at least to, to demand enough that if there was a need for a strike, it would happen. And so if you understand it in that context, there's a lot of support from these workers for this, this struggle. And as the negotiations go forward, um, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the companies to find ways um, to give at least significantly more than what they've given so far. Absolutely. So th these guys have worked hard. They made the sacrifices for the corporations. They are the ones who make the money. And we have to start at some point ensuring that workers are stakeholders better. Workers are the largest stakeholders next to the customer. And uh, investors, the capital class, are mainly. The simply the ones who make a few dollars on the backs of everybody else. Passive income. That is what passive income is. So let's we have to redefine all that we have learned about how an economy is supposed to run. We've learned that an economy has the capital class on the top. 
by definition. It does not have to be that way. I want you to sh- I want to show you how being that way works. By the way, on the screen, you see what a bridge MCP's project. I tell her anytime she does her projects, let us see what it's all about. She has a description inside of the inside of the app page. But anyhow, I need to get to this other video. I everybody stop typing for a second and listen to this video in its entirety. I try I ask you so kindly to do so. This is how the wealthy really thinks about all of you, including those of you who are trying to defend them. This is important. Check this out. Every so often you have to wonder about wealthy people, rich people, sometimes they forget that they are in the minority and they should watch what they say. Because sometimes when they come out and tell the truth, even those people who were defending them will start to see what they really are, who they really are. I mean, let's be clear here. Uh, I have been speaking about this for a very long time. The wealthy people, those who don't really earn, but depends on workers, the working class to have whatever it is that they have, they continue to not realize the importance of the worker, that the worker is a stakeholder. And to put it bluntly, the worker, they need the worker more than the worker needs them. But this Australian, a great old capitalist, Tim Gurner. One of Australia's richest men, he came and he, he, he said out loud what most of these rich people believe. I want you to listen to what he has to say here, and then I want to take it on the other side. Because what I want folks to realize, first of all, is what he's saying is something we talked about, what the feds are trying to do in America. And I want you to take a listen very well, and then. We'll take it on the other side. There we go. I think the problem that we've had is that we've, you know, we, we have people decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they, they have been paid, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years and we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, there is a, there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global, you know, the, the world is trying to do. The governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off and we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market. And that has to continue because that will cascade across the cost balance. I want you guys to understand what this, this plutocrat, this oligarch, this wealthy dude just said. Something that I mentioned a few shows ago and some people got on my case. No, that's not what they're doing. I said the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, not because it had to, but because it is doing the biddings of the wealthy. Remember, inflation has very little to do 
with there being shortages. Our inflation has everything to do with the wealthy wanting to gouge us to get even more money. And who do they have to help them with? This plutocrat confessed. He said governments all over the world have also realized that people don't want to work as hard, that people don't want to go ahead. That, in, in other words, they don't want they, they are working as if they're doing the employer a favor and they need to get their act together. And remember, we don't, we are not honored to have you as a worker. You are honored to have us as your employer. That's what he said. That's what he inferred. And he said the governments around the world are working to increase unemployment. You heard that out of his mouth. It's something that I've been saying for a long time. It's something that Elizabeth Warner went ahead and told uh, told our the Federal Reserve guy as well, Powell. She said, please, your document says that you need to raise unemployment to a four point something percent. And what does that mean? Two million more people unemployed. And why do they want unemployed people? Because if they have a glut of people unemployed, then the, the work, the, the, the plutocrats, the wealthy people can go ahead and say, all right, you'll just have to take what we have to offer you. This method of thinking is what has the has us with a a wage, a, a wealth disparity, an income disparity. And for those people who continue to support the policies of the wealthy, for those who continue to say, no, we don't want entitlements. We don't want these social programs. Understand, there are social programs. It's only that it's going to the wealthy. A social program is your employment to them. And he's just about told you. He said, governments around the world are making sure that you become unemployed so that we can have the pickings of workers. My brothers and my sisters, how much more do you need to hear? We have these rich people making these kinds of mistakes all over. Because remember, the smart ones aren't the rich people. They are smart in capitalism. They understand how to move paper without doing work. But the, the ones who have the intellect, you. You're the ones that make the economy work. You are the ones that create the products. You are the ones whose intellect are the scientists, etc., that get things done. People, come on. We've got to wake up. They, these guys have become so comfortable in their wealth. They have become so comfortable and think that they have made you dumb enough that you will continue to be there. And once you start to feel a little bit arrogant about being in control as the employee that they need you. Oh, they're going to clip your wings. No, they can't clip your wings. You're a hell of a lot more of us than there are them. Orders of magnitude more of us than them. Remember, keep that in the back of your head. Assert your worth. Absolutely. So assert your worth. It's interesting, right? Because I want to read this one from Daniel Ledo. He says, my employees understand they are employed at my pleasure. I do not tolerate employees who think they are the prize. Well, you know what, brother? Your employees, you should treat them as a prize. Anytime somebody do any kind of work for me, I consider them the prize. You talk about they work for you at your pleasure. That's a master slave thought process, right? They, it's it's a stakeholder it's a stakeholder equal relationship the only difference is you 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 cannot exist 
without their work. You know, anybody who has a company who complains about, oh, we, uh, we, I, why do I have to pay a living wage? Because if you're not paying a living wage, you have a hobby. Because what you're asking somebody to do is work at, at under a living wage so that you can earn yourself as an employer a living wage, right? Or a, an above average living wage. You got to get this right. Hey, Tim Danahy is in the house. He says, Eric, I've always admired Lincoln Electric business. Employees make twice the market rate. No layoffs in 50 years. Growth, no excessive management greed. Read a recent Inc. article. Thank you for pointing that out. And by the way, I am pretty sure you're a darn good employer yourself, uh, uh, Tim Danahy with Tim Danahy Market. I mean, Carpentry. I know that for a fact. Anyway, Ray, brother Ray, come on in, sir. How are you doing today? By the way, folks, on the screen is that other piece from uh, from our one and only Bridge MCP. I like to feature all her projects. Come on in, Bri uh, Breck. Senor, how are you doing? Senor Ray. Yes, yes sir. sir. Uh, I, I am just, just chiming, chiming in because uh, that, that, that piece that, that you just, just displayed, you know, it, it, it pretty, pretty much, much connects, connects the dots, like, like I said, said this morning, morning to the, the cruelty that uh, basically the society, society we live in and, and the corporate, corporate structure basically says that there's always someone that has, has to suffer for someone else to be able to get ahead. And it's like, like you know, you know it's, it's, it's stifling, stifling to me that, that we live in a society, society where, where the masses, the masses of, people, of people, you know, you know have, have accepted this standard as, as the norm that, that you, know, you know, we should take what we're supposed, supposed to get. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of your right wing, -wing listeners and, and watchers are probably the type of people that say, you know, well, work is work and if you don't like your job you can get a better job and all of that and you know th there's a lot of talking points that you know always point to something we have to do but it always takes the responsibility off the backs of those in power who have all of the capital and controlling the jobs they don't you know, want to give good paying jobs the, the thing about slave it jobs, is basically. you're exactly right what we the problem is this, as in a capitalist society, we have allowed ourselves to be indoctrinated, not that we are stakeholders. Those, in, in other words, let, let me use somebody, I thought I got rid of the echo, I hope I got rid of the echo. Um, let me give an example here. Um, uh, I, if, is there still an echo, folks? Let me know. But, but do you hear echo? Uh, good on my end. Okay, good. Uh, uh, let, let me tell you what I think. Uh, we have a we have an employer right here. Uh, uh, Tim Tim uh, is a, is a darn good friend of mine, and he employs a whole lot of people. But he treats these people with dignity. Now we have somebody like Daniel Ledo who uh, has who comes out and says the people who work for me, I let I am the one paying them, and they ought to know X Y Z. You know, there uh, it, it is it's it's a two different types of thinking. When you when I look at people who do things for me, I look at them with respect. I can't do it. They can do it. We have an exchange of something for the other. The problem with what you heard. Let me uh, interrupt that, you real quick. And Egberto. Yes. I, yeah. You, when you said that, that's, I'm glad you said that, because even the man who is cutting my grass. Yes. Is getting the utmost respect because he's out there in the heat with the bugs and the, and the pollen and all of that. And he's putting in the labor. And if I can't do it the way he does it, I, 
as a laborer. And I feel like whatever I pay him, it should be fair for what he's doing for me. Exactly. Exactly. And that is what, you know, uh, we, the, the mentality is, uh, is still in capitalism because the bigger uh, slavery was a capitalist, uh, a, a capitalist thing. Okay. And, uh, even employee now is a capitalist thing. I always tell people, and it gets a whole lot of people pissed when I say it. I always say uh, the, the transition from slavery to mostly employee was the best new form of antiseptic slavery because what it meant is whereas the slave owner saw the slave as capital that he had to make sure survive, meaning some sort of health care, clothing, etc., the employee if uh, the empl- the way it works now, if the employee isn't working out or you j- you don't need him anymore, you just throw him to the curb. You couldn't throw a, cur- a, a slave to the curb. That was capital, man. And in our country, capital has a lot more value than human beings, right? So now the employee, we don't use you. You, you listen to what Tim uh, Gruden, Bruden said on that piece that I just played. It is exactly how the wealthy class thinks of all of us. And when you and and that's why when you have folks like uh my my brother Mike Cisak, my brother Ledo and all the conservatives who are always on the side of the corporate folk, it's like folks, please remove the chains from your minds. You got to. Anyway, Ray, anything else? We're coming close to the end of the program. Oh, no. Well, you just keep on connecting those dots with antiseptic slavery, because that's exactly what it is. Basically, um, they're using us for their purposes and you got to stop the exploitation. But you keep on preaching that talking point and hopefully it'll get to the right people. And I'm going to echo what you said. Capitalism is not democracy. Thank you. Thank, oh, thank you, my brother. You know, we, we have to we have to thank you for that call. We have to get over. The, the, the indoctrination that somehow there's a correlation between capitalism and democracy. The, the second largest capitalist state is China. OK, uh, and there's nothing democratic about China, nothing democratic about China. What I believe in is free enterprise, people having their own businesses and doing things uh, and doing things in a manner, in a competitive manner. If I have a better product that you like, you buy from me, I buy from you. That is what we're talking about. That is where it really belongs, folks. Uh, Anyway, uh, let's see what else we we have. Um, I have about three more videos that I can't get to, but I'll have it in a blog post for the program. I just had a there's so much that we had to cover with what we did here that um, actually I want to read something from Michael Rudden because a lot of people don't see this, but it's true. He says capitalism is antithetical to democracy. If you let capitalism be free, they'll corrupt democracy into plutocracy every time. Why? Because doing so raises their profits at everyone else's expense. And the corollary to that is what Milton Friedman says. Capitalism has no purpose in getting involved in social issues, the environment or anything. The sole purpose of the executive in a capitalist structure is to maximize the value of the shareholder, maximize shareholder value. Nothing else. Nada más. All right, folks, please support the program. You can support the program by going to politicsunright.com slash support. 
politicsunright.com slash support. It's a way it gives you all the different options that you have to support the program. I'd love to ask you as well to please uh, subscribe to our uh, to the paid version of our newsletter. It comes out every day at five in the morning to tell you what we're going to have at uh, Politics and Right on KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Uh, go to politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Subscribe to it. Everybody who subscribed to my newsletter will have free access to all of the books that I write. I've so far written five books. I've already uploaded two books to Substack. It takes a while to, to do it one page, one, one episode at a time. So, you know, I'm still working on that. But Everybody who subscribed to my newsletter will have full access to all of my books. Five of them will be uploaded. I'm working on three other books right now. So please, please, please support the program by going to politicsandright.com slash support. If you want any other form of support, please become a paid member of our newsletter. That is politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Folks, we cannot do this without you. You are the ones who have to save the country. You are the ones who have to save the country. And how do you do it? Geometric progression. What do I mean by geometric progression? As we speak to each other here, all of us are responsible for speaking to our sphere of influence. As each of us speak to our spheres of influence, we encourage all of those within our spheres of influence to then speak to their individual spheres of influence. Geometric progression means that we can reach ultimately more people than any ad on TV. We can reach many more people than any of the fallacies you hear in all the right-wing media, etc., etc., etc. Let's get busy and change the country. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.